Good morning, and welcome to Radiate. My name is Pastor Darren, and I am just so blessed to be here to share this time together. And when I was presented with the invitation from your ministry leader, Lionel, I didn't even have to think about my answer. Any opportunity to discuss and discover what God's Word has to say for our lives is never one that I pass up. Although I must admit, I would have preferred to do this in person, but circumstances have prevented us. But such goes the year 2020. The message we'll discuss today, and I say discuss purposefully, is because it's really a conversation. A conversation that we must all take part in. For as Paul writes, that is, that you and I may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. So if you're tuning in today, and you have some questions or thoughts you'd like to share as we go along, hit us up online. We'd love to hear from you. Don't be shy. We'd love to be able to encourage and guide you in your walk of faith especially as you attempt to navigate the ever-changing landscape we call modern life. When it comes to God's Word, there is no new truth, only new light. So let's walk together in the light. The holiday season will soon be upon us, and it will be very different than any other, that's for sure. And for most of us, if not all of us, we're not very comfortable with this fact. Next week, we'll usher in our yearly celebration of Thanksgiving. And if we're totally honest with ourselves, the lockdowns, the job losses, the isolation, and the rising death tolls around the world would seem to make it rather difficult for anyone to feel thankful. Or will it? One thing we do well to keep in mind is to remember God always allows circumstances for a reason. God is never surprised by what has taken place, and he's always working out his good purposes through them. God allows and uses these circumstances to reveal hearts, motives, positions, and thoughts, which is what has been the inspiration behind today's message. I've entitled it, The Fullness of Thanks. Our text comes out of the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 17, and we start off at verse 11. I encourage you to take notes, because God has a lot to say in just eight little verses. Now, We enter our text with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he goes, he enters a village, a small community along the way. And there, ten men with leprosy, a skin disease thought to be highly contagious, meet him as he enters. They watch him closely from a distance. Now, it's been said, every human being has four basic needs a need for identity, a need for acceptance, a need for approval, and for a sense of belonging. And these needs are so great within us that some of us will engage in some very extreme behaviors just to meet those needs. And these 10 lepers, well, they're no different. Forced to live as society's outcasts, unaccepted, isolated, They are more aware of their pain that surrounds their lives than most people are today. And it's fair to assume we know a little something about contagious diseases. But for these lepers, there's no mask to help them. And there's no promising or promise of a pending vaccine. There's just Jesus. They watch Jesus closely. And as he enters, it's evident by now, they have heard the rumors how the blind see, how the lame walk. 
And so in a single moment of opportunity, and with one loud voice, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And to the most casual of observers, it seems an all too familiar sight. Normal lepers standing outside the village, crying, unclean, unclean. That was just the normal requirement for these outcasts. They had to. The religious regulators required it. Just read Leviticus 13.45. But that's not what they cried out, is it? No. Instead, they cried out something very different. They cried out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Very different cry than what was expected. To give you an even bigger picture, to give you a little more insight, these people were so rejected by the culture of the day that they were even forbidden to greet or even reply if spoken to. That was way beyond what was written in the law. The text tells us that Jesus saw them. And these words can't be overstated. For throughout scripture, over and over again, it's ever revealed just how much more Jesus sees than we do. He sees them, and in response to their cry, turns and says, go. It's not the go as in go away, but it's go as in go show yourselves to the priests. Go show yourselves to those who rejected you. Go to those whom you once belonged, whose religious traditions go far beyond what is really prescribed. Go show yourselves to them. The text says they went. It's an indication of their faith. You see, faith is really an action word, a verb, if you will. They believe in Jesus, and so they went. The text says, as they went, they were cleansed. A result of their faith and action, they were in a moment healed. We are told, however, only one, when he saw he was healed, when in a specific moment of time he recognized the visible change, he responded in a very specific way. And that's really important for us today. The significance of this one's response is threefold, and it's worthy of note. First is that he came back. He came back speaks to the fact of his volitional connection that is made through his faith experience. He came back, simply put, means he chose. He decided it was a decision of his will, of his self, to come back. The second aspect worthy of note was how he came back. And that is, he came back praising God in a loud voice. The adjective is key here. You see, human nature and our natural tendency is to avoid pain. So when we read about this outcast whose boldness to engage and to face the culture of rejection around him, to speak out in a loud voice, unafraid, speaks to a very emotional connection that comes through his faith experience. The driving force of rejection no longer holds this man captive. He's no longer a slave to the people's reaction or judgments. He just sees Jesus. 
The third aspect is quite a picture. He throws himself at Jesus' feet and he thanks him. A powerful word picture that emerges here and speaks to the intellectual connection that is made through his faith experience. The man knows fully what Jesus has done, and he gives to Jesus the fullness of his thanks. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, not only did he boldly exhibit these actions as one once rejected, but also as one who was also a Samaritan. Now, the label here is directed and intended for the original audience. Its original hearers are really shamed and caused to reflect upon this label. However, for us, the value of what's written lies not in the label placed upon the men, but rather the tense of the pronoun used to describe him. He was. Past tense. He was a leper. He was an outcast. And he was a Samaritan. But now, he's just thankful. And he's with Jesus. The fullness of thanks only happens when we engage our entire person, heart, soul, and mind. When we engage our volition, our will, our emotions, and our intellect. And when that happens, the entire world around you changes and your perspective is wholly different. It's important to remember the quality of your thinking directly affects the quality of your life. But that's not the entire lesson Jesus has for us. You see, there's still one more thing we have to learn. And that brings us to verse 17. It says, He, Jesus, asks three rapid-fire questions. Now, there's only two reasons, only two purposes. One asks the question. The first is to gain information or knowledge. And the second is to provoke thought, to cause for consideration. Which of these two do you think best describe Jesus' intention? It says Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one else found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Now, at face value, quick initial reading can leave us judging the nine rather harshly. But in reality, what Jesus is really seeking to evoke in us, what is he really asking from us, is to consider why the difference. To consider what was the difference between the one who came back and the nine who didn't. Remember, Jesus confirms all ten were healed. So it has nothing to do with healing or faith. But still, only one comes back to praise God. Only one is able to move away from these basic needs and move towards God 
And so the question we're left to ponder, the one question we need to ask ourselves is what holds us back from the fullness of thanks? What are the fears that hold us captive? Is it the fear of identity? Is it the fear of acceptance? Perhaps the fear of approval or the fear of not belonging. This is not an easy question to answer, but if we're truly and prayerfully give consideration of our lives before God, God will show us. You see, it's really easy to come off selfishly thankful, and we don't even realize it. In the midst of our prayer, thanking God because we're not sick. Or perhaps because we still have jobs. Or maybe we're just thankful because no one close to us died. But what do you say to those who have experienced these losses? What comfort do you think our thanks offers them? You see, it's only when we learn to embrace the fullness of thanks that we can begin to comfort those with the same comfort we ourselves have received. And it's only then that people will see Jesus for who he really is. My closing prayer is this, is that we all together seek to grow towards a more fullness of thanks in our relationship with Christ. And not only to be changed personally, but to affect change in a hurting and dying world. May your thanksgiving be blessed by the fullness of thanks in our Savior Jesus. Amen.